Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you are with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend before we jump into our teaching. Uh, just a reminder, if you'd like a complete set of notes uh, to this weekend's message, you can go on the Version Bible app. It's absolutely free. Lower right-hand corner, open the menu, look in events, search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find a complete set of notes. And also, if you're a podcast listener, next time you're in your player, search for Arlington FM, and there you will find all of our teaching content. Well, uh, we are in a series called uh, Quality Relationships. And uh, what we're doing is we're cracking the code for how to fill our lives with good relationships. The whole series is based on this truth that every good thing from God flows into our lives through the quality of our relationships. Uh, Life-giving virtue uh, comes from God uh, into our hearts, into our lives, uh, flows uh, to us, uh, through us, to one another, and then out into the world that God loves. And so uh, you can kind of look at the headings like this. Uh, Our lives thrive through our connections with God, with one another, and with the world that God loves. Uh, You know, uh, many researchers uh, have tried to answer the question, what is it that truly makes people happy? And time after time after time, they come back to this conclusion. It's uh, not our success. It's not our uh, pleasures. It's the presence of deep and meaningful relationship connections. And uh, so uh, from the very start of the series, we asked the question, is religion good for relationships? And unfortunately, many people would have to say no, not from my experience. And uh, so a more personal question is, is my spirituality good for my relationships and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ the answer to that ought to be yes in fact Jesus said the most important commandment I could give you is to love one another as I have loved you and uh, we made this observation according to the teachings of the New Testament that relationships flourish in a in an environment of positive interactions and uh, this is borne out again and again and again through many people who work with marriages that relationships flourish in a rich environment of positive interactions uh the way the bible would teach it is that uh, we can be full of grace in our interactions with each other in fact what jesus modeled is that enjoying people and investing in friendships is the very way that Christ called them uh, people who are far from God back to God. Uh, This is the testimony uh, of the Gospels that Jesus loved people back to God through the quality of his friendships with them. And uh, so today we come to a kind of a, in my view, a surprising conclusion to this series on the quality of our relationships. Uh, You could say it like this. Our best future is found in the quality of our relationships with God, with one another, with the world God loves, and drumroll, please, with the children that God prioritizes. And uh, you're thinking, what? Don't turn that channel yet, because uh, I want to show how investing in our relationships with children uh, puts us on a pathway towards happiness. You know, uh, 
It doesn't take a, a lot of observation to see that pleasure, for the most part, is fleeting. In fact, we know that most everything that gives us a temporary buzz, you have to keep increasing it in order to derive the same level of pleasure or happiness from it. In fact, uh, the, one of the writers of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, he tried about every pleasure known to man. He had uh, no limitations on his wealth and his power, and uh, he came to this conclusion. He said, as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing after the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. In fact, another translation says, all is empty. All is vanity. Well, here's a, again a surprising observation that the quality of our interactions with children seems to contribute to a peculiar long-lasting, even beyond our own mortality, positive impact on a full and happy life. I hear that again. Uh, it's been observed that the quality of our interactions with children, with the next generations, has a long-term impact uh, on our happiness in life. It's kind of a uh, an odd connection, uh, but it definitely is there, I, I suppose, that's why some people who have it all in this life have choose to turn uh, some of their own uh, wealth and prerogatives back into their investments in children. Uh, look at this guy. Maybe you know who it is. A guy named Russell Wilson. He used to play quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, maybe some of you have soured on his example. But the truth is uh, he really loves kids. And in these pictures of him uh, at Children's Hospital, uh, it's a testimony of his commitment uh, to turn his heart back towards those relationships with children. You know, my early days as a follower of Jesus, I was 21 years old, didn't really know a thing about uh, what mattered most to God and to Christ and following him, but I knew I had faith in Christ. And uh, the very first church I ever attended, uh, someone who was further along than myself uh, said to me, uh, you need to start using your talents and your gifts to serve the body of Christ, to serve the local church. Well, that sounded impressive to me. I said, go ahead, sign me up. He did. He enlisted me to help out with the toddlers, with the two and the three-year-olds at our church. And looking back, I have to say, it was the best thing that ever happened to me uh, to learn to uh, invest myself in uh, the little ones. Years later, uh, I was a youth pastor getting ready to lead our youth group on a mission trip. We were heading out uh, to go across multiple states. We were going to expand and proclaim the kingdom of God. We'd been prayed over, commissioned, about ready to fire up the bus. And uh, my wife approached me with our one-year-old son. Uh, she held him out, and he had a rather toxic aroma to him. And uh, she said, here, do some real ministry. And uh, I said, well, I took him to myself, got myself ready for the task, and, uh, you know, I was ready for it. I was up for it in every sense of the word. In fact, I had a full hazmat suit <laughs> in order to approach this uh, uh, unlikable task. But here's the truth. Uh, sadly, many adults have no meaningful interactions with children. 
uh, even their own. Uh, hear that again. Sadly, many adults have no meaningful interactions with children, and in some cases, even their own. Uh, they fall into what uh, one of my mentors called uh, the syndrome, the busy, important, serious syndrome. In other words, their lives are so filled with their own duties, the importance of their own tasks and uh, priorities, uh, and the seriousness of their day-to-day -day activities uh, that they have no room uh, for children. You know, uh, we do that with our religion. We become so busy and important and serious about our religious beliefs that we kind of crowd out uh, any opportunity to develop friendships with children. Uh, Jesus said this to a, a group of religious leaders who were too full of themselves. He said, Woe to you, teachers uh, of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven. You're not experiencing the fullness, the joyfulness, uh, the victory, uh, the, the happiness that comes from inter interacting with God. You yourselves do not enter in, nor will you let those enter in who are trying to uh, see their own failure to experience God became a barrier in their relationships with others. Uh, you know, here's the thing about children. Uh, they look up to adults naturally, uh, not only physically, but internally. They look to adults to show them the way. Uh, uh, children uh, have a perhaps misconception that adults know what to do and how to cope when life gets hard. However, uh, here's an equal truth. When adults act like children, uh, think of adults fighting uh, over wearing a mask on an airplane. When, when adults act like children, uh, children lose trust in them. Uh, it's almost as if something clicks in their brain and they think, I can no longer look to big people to show me the way, and so they uh, tune them out. Uh, someone wrote an article, the ways that we hinder children from coming to faith in Jesus. And here are some of his observations. Uh, we ourselves do not go to Jesus. And if we don't have that meaningful connection with him, it's impossible to model that to our children. Uh, he said the second way we hinder uh, kids from coming to Christ is we fail to foster Christ-centered homes. Our conversations about faith are about, uh, they're more about uh, religious issues. We critique sermons and leaders and churches, and lost in there is an infatuation with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, third way we hinder uh, children from coming to faith in Christ is we fail to live in integrity. Uh, we don't follow through with what we say we are. Uh, we don't live according to the priorities and commandments of Christ, and that becomes a barrier to our own children. Uh, fourth way, we fail to love the, the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the one another's, uh, which we covered in week two of this series, uh, that uh, there are literally uh, scores of verses in the New Testament that prioritize the quality of our love for one another, and when we fail to walk in that, we become a barrier to our children. Well, the summary of this uh, author's article on ways that we hinder children from coming to faith in Christ is uh, it has to be a passion for Jesus 
over the polish, polish of our religious habits, and it has to be Jesus' uh, infatuation over God talk, real relationship with Christ over theology and uh, our belief systems. Well, uh, uh, here's another uh, person who looked at uh, faith and parenting. And here's an insightful comment. When parents prioritize duties and interests over their children, their children learn to do the same. In other words, when parents, uh, when their minds and their hearts, uh, their availability become so occupied with their own duties and interests uh, to the neglect uh, of their children, their children tend to do the same. Uh, their own interests uh, begin to squeeze out their interest and availability to their parents. You know, uh, Jesus had to intentionally correct his first disciples uh, over their relationship with children. Uh, they had it all wrong, as, as so many of us do. Uh, we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 10, uh, which, interestingly enough, uh, Jesus begins this section of his teaching uh, by talking about uh, the quality of our marriages, that depth of loyalty and commitment between a husband and a wife. You know, my wife and I raised four children, and uh, we didn't do it perfectly, but we did some things right. And one of those is we stayed together. We were committed uh, to that covenant we had made to one another. And uh, oftentimes, uh, our grown children will say, uh, you know, we want to thank you uh, for the gift that you gave us in your loyalty to one another. And uh, Jesus kind of takes that as a foundation, uh, that commitment, that loyalty to our most uh, immediate relationships, and he applies it to children. Here's how the story unfolds. We're told in Mark 10, verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples had an interesting response. They rebuked them. They said, hey, cut it out. Uh, quit annoying. Uh, quit bothering the master with these children. Uh, they felt that uh, Jesus was annoyed uh, by having to deal with these kids. And uh, obviously, they'd fallen in uh, to the busy, important, serious syndrome. Uh, they assumed that Jesus was too busy for kids. The work that he was about was too important uh, to, to be uh, hindered by the children. And uh, his work was too serious, certainly, uh, to be waylaid or sidetracked by having to deal with children. Well, their, their fallacy is they assumed that Jesus agreed with them, that he, he shared their perspective. He did not. In fact, we're told when Jesus saw this, he was ticked off. Uh, he was indignant. Uh, the word actually means uh, to feel a violent irritation physically. Uh, Jesus was annoyed. Uh, he didn't like what was being proclaimed uh, to these kids, to these people about the values of God, about the priorities of Christ, and about what it meant to be a person of faith. Uh, he had to correct them. You know, I had a, a mentor who, um, he often talked about things that we do, ways that we see others that devalue them, that lower their value in our eyes and deprioritize them. 
depersonalize them. Uh, here's what he often said in many different ways. He said, we devalue people, especially children, when we view them as functions, interruptions, or symbols. Uh, when we see people only in terms of what they can do for us. Uh, when we see people as uh, kind of uh, presenting obstacles to what we need to do for ourselves. And when we see people as representing groups or categories of others, uh, any uh, view of others, especially children, through that lens, devalues them. And uh, that made Jesus mad. He wasn't okay with that. Uh, he doesn't uh, teach his disciples to live relationally with those kinds of priorities. In fact, he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And uh, you could almost see the disciples going, wait, what? Not only are children immensely significant and valuable in their own right, but they own the kingdom of God. It belongs to them. Now, I don't pretend to know all that that means, but this much is clear. If you want to experience the power and the presence and the provision and the protection of the invisible and all-powerful God, which is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus said this, you can't do that without being near to children because it belongs to them. And so uh, nearness to children is what positions us to experience the reality of God's power and his presence and his provision. In fact, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, anyone, that would include all of us, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never, underscore, never enter into it. And uh, the sad reality is this. Uh, we've got churches and neighborhoods and nations who have crummy relationships with children and yet pretend to experience God. Uh, hear that again. We have neighborhoods and churches and nations who pretend to experience the kingdom of God uh, while they have crummy relationships with children. Jesus said it's impossible. You cannot do it. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child and you embrace uh, the values of God's kingdom. Well, uh, how do we do that? Uh, how do we have better relationships with the little ones? Uh, how do we uh, pay attention to that canary in the cave? And if our relationships with kids is either suffering or non-existent, how do we flip the script and uh, change our priority system? Well, a uh, good place to start is this. Follow the example of Christ. Here's what we're told in Mark 10, verse 16. Uh, he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, uh, there's a lot in that statement. He took the children in his arms. It has a lot to do with proximity, uh, nearness. Uh, here's truth. You can't be near to kids without being near to them. Uh, you can't be near to children without opening up your world a bit and allowing yourself to get close to them. You know, when my grandson Johnny comes to visit, he's five years old now, as soon as I hear he's coming up, I get my crummy clothes on. I get my crawling on the, the floor, casual clothes on, because I want to get down on his level. 
And uh, once we start playing together on the floor, it's like the connection is there, and the relationship has a chance to flourish. And uh, Jesus was welcoming. He was approachable. In fact, uh, the next qualities that you see evidence through his interaction with kids is that he was warm, and he was approachable. He placed his hands on them. You know, uh, there's been a lot of uh, work done as to which therapeutic methods are the best for helping people get healthy. And uh, beyond the disciplines and the traditions and the different uh, viewpoints, whether it's Freudism, uh, Freudism or, uh, you know, Skinner's uh, behavioral uh, psychology, whatever the discipline is doesn't seem to matter near as much. Is, is the therapist warm and approachable? Uh, if they are, the environment is created for people to get better. Well, uh, Jesus demonstrated that warmth and that approachability. And interestingly enough, uh, kids have an internal radar. They know uh, when a person is truly genuine and warm and approachable. And they know when a person is not. And then finally, we're told uh, that Jesus blessed them. Uh, he displayed generosity in a giving spirit. Uh, he was near to kids. He was warm. He was approachable. And he was generous and giving to them. You know, uh, this is kind of a homey illustration, but uh, when my wife and I go for walks, I make it a point to notice the kids that are out in the neighborhoods. And we go by this one home that has a basketball hoop in the driveway. And uh, if there are kids out there playing, usually they're like five to eight years old. And uh, I'll often stop and uh, I'll go into my sports commentator voice. Uh, Time's running out. Uh, he's got the ball. He dribbles. He stops. He shoots. He pulls up. He scores. And uh, inevitably, uh, the kids will look over at me with big smiles on their faces. And uh, it's all uh, comes from a heart that wants to be generous, that wants to bless. And it would be so easy to withhold uh, to not uh, have that kind of openness uh, to the little ones. As we end this message, I want to encourage you, a little take-home exercise. You know, one of the great chapters in the New Testament is John 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. And uh, in that prayer, uh, Jesus is uh, attempting to secure uh, uh, passing on this great relationship that he has with God the Father, that he's called the disciples into. And so he's praying uh, that, that that relationship would stay vibrant and real and powerful and life-changing, eternity-changing. And I would encourage you, read through John 17 and think about looking for tips that could help you interact with kids, with children that God has placed in your life uh, with. Uh, but here's one of the the statements that I noticed, actually, too, from John 17, it's verse 3 and verse 6, reads like this. Now this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's a profoundly important statement. Uh, this is the determinant, whether people are going to live forever in God's goodness or people are going to suffer eternally in hell. This is eternal life, that they would know you, that they would have a meaningful relationship with God and with Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And then uh, this in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Think about 
the opportunity we have to influence children towards faith. You know, uh, most uh, research shows that the majority of people who will ever develop a lifelong faith in God, it will happen before they reach their teenage years. And uh, we have that opportunity uh, through our genuineness, through making it a priority, uh, through not caving in to the busy, important, serious syndrome, uh, by not looking at children in ways that devalue, depersonalize them, we can reveal uh, the living God through our experience of him in our genuine love for kids. And as we end this message, I want to give you three very simple, doable, actionable steps to make it real, to improve the quality of your relationship with kids. Uh, here they are. Number one, uh, start in your own neighborhood. And I would say uh, start in your own church. You know, uh, God places, I believe, people in the right proximity where he can reach the most people through them. And uh, how great of a travesty it is if we overlook the children that God has placed within our sphere of influence. So you start in your own neighborhood, in your own church. Number two, uh, let children know that you notice them. You know, noticing someone is the very first actionable step of loving them. And uh, there are so many ways we can let kids know that we notice them. That's kind of what I'm doing when I go into my sportscaster voice is, I see you and you matter to me. And then thirdly is uh, be a worthy role model. You know, uh, pay attention to the integrity of your life and uh, don't allow yourself to fall into that kind of uh, surly behavior where adults are acting like children and losing the trust of the ones who need it the most. Uh, would you join me in a prayer? Uh, Father, we want to thank you so much uh, for this uh, drawing our attention uh, to the quality of our relationships. Uh, really, our best future, our best hope lies in paying attention to the quality of our connections, uh, first with you, by abiding in Jesus Christ and living within his love and his affection and following his direction. And uh, Lord, then with one another, by paying attention, by not allowing uh, roots of bitterness, uh, by not allowing uh, our old nature and the old habits of uh, interacting with each other to uh, continue to reign and rule, uh, but instead, Lord, uh, inviting your grace to fill us, empower us, to create those rich environments of positive interactions. Lord, your intention is that we would then turn that loose let that river of life flow uh, through us and out into the world that desperately needs to experience a God who loves them, who draws near to them. And Lord, thank you uh, for this focus that we can take all of our good intentions and focus it on children. That can be the proving ground. Our relationship uh, with the little ones, Lord, can prove that we really do walk in your values. We really have embraced your priorities, uh, Lord, for your glory in our lives, in your church, in the world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.